When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everyone. Today, I will be talking with Dr. Sam Casey. Dr. Sam is a clinical social worker and registered play therapist, specializing in working with children and parents. Dr. Sam Casey created the Play Prescription Method to teach parents and professionals a holistic and practical approach to play therapy. In today's episode, we will discuss the idea of the selfless mother, how it can affect children in the short and long term, and how to find a balance in motherhood. We also talk about play-based strategies that you can incorporate into your own daily routine. I may have Dr. Sam come back on the podcast in a few months to dive into this more because I think it would be a really great episode. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All right, everyone, we have Dr. Sam Casey here today. Welcome. Thanks, Lindsay. So today's conversation is going to be surrounding the selfless mother, which I'm excited to get to, but I want you to first talk about what led you to your business of play therapy. I want to hear more about this. Yes, I would love to share that because, um, yeah, I do know it's a unique story and it's one that has really changed the course of my life. So growing up, I wasn't someone that was doing quite well at school. I was actually failing high school and I felt really lost in terms of what I wanted to do with my life. And I thought that leaving school was the best option. And in Australia here, legally, we can leave at 15, which happened to be halfway through year 10 for me, if we had something to go to. So my plan was to become a hairdresser. And I thought, yep, I can leave school at 15. And that can can be the path that I take. And I ended up actually taking a overseas trip. And that kind of when I came back, I was like, I don't want to do hairdressing, but I don't really know what I wanted to do. And so I ended up in childcare because that just happened to be one of the places, the only places I could get a job unqualified and and obviously being an early school leaver. And I was working with some children and I noticed that they would use play not just educationally, like how I'd been taught to teach them in a childcare setting, but they used it as almost like an emotional release. And so I kind of went home and we didn't have Google back then. I think it was like 9MSN, but I searched (laughs) up, you know, play like therapy using play. And it was a thing. It was play therapy. It was really new in Australia. And I knew that's exactly what I wanted to do. And I wanted to share that with the world because I just saw how transformative it was 
But when I step back, so it's almost like when I was with that child, I had to do everything against what I was taught as a childcare worker. I had to not direct the play. I had to not make suggestions. I did. I had to not direct away from these like really kind of in-depth themes that this child was playing out. And I had to sit and allow space for that. And I did that very intuitively, but it also made me realize like how powerful this approach could be. And so, yeah, that took me on a journey in going back, getting educated, like going back to university. And I did a degree in psychology and children and family studies. And then I did my master's in social work. And then I went on to do my PhD in the field of psychology and play therapy. And then becoming a mom, right, in the midst of all of this also shifted my perspective. I began training in, you know, maternal mental health. I learned about conscious parenting. And I definitely saw the gap between a child's mental health and a, and a mom's mental health and how can we actually support moms to utilize play therapy within the homes but also taking into a bit of a holistic approach which is where my kind of play prescription model has come from that is <laughs> that is so cool first of all I want to ask you did your family support you leaving like how did that go like when you were in high school and you had this discussion like what was the were they supportive yeah, it was really interesting back then. They were really, they were supportive, but I didn't, I feel like they were actually really hands off. They didn't really ask me what my plans were. It was like when I had enrolled myself, yeah, like into like the childcare studies, they were like, cool, I'll sign that off for you. It's almost like they knew that was my own path. And when I, when I talk to them about this now, they say like, you were very strong. Like you were really like a strong-minded teen. Like we couldn't convince you to stay. We knew that we had to let you go because you weren't happy at school. You weren't doing well. You didn't feel good about that. And so I think it was really good that they did let me, I guess, follow my own path because I really needed to, yeah, have that space to do that. That's such a wonderful story. I love hearing stories like that though, because it's like, you think that everything needs to be so traditional where you go to school until 12th grade and then you enter into college and college is so necessary because it makes you, you know, quote, smarter. But I think we're learning almost like as time progresses, we're learning that's not actually true a lot of the time. And you did go on to go to college and all that, but oftentimes that doesn't always happen. I'm actually, I'm I'm listening to a memoir right now of Dave Grawl. I don't know if you know him, but he's the drummer for the Foo Fighters, was the drummer for Nirvana. And I'm listening to it and he has a story of, he left, I think it was... It was either 10th or 11th grade as well. And originally, he wasn't going to leave. He was offered this position in this band Scream. And he originally was like, I don't know. I can't leave school. But he also like despised school, didn't want to go. And turns out, like I don't know, a couple months went by. And he was like, no, I really need to do this. I need to change, chase my passion. And of course, like years and years and years unfold. And you see, like I think he's like one of the greatest drummers of all time. It's just like crazy to see to see what can happen if you don't follow this like traditional path. And so I think that's awesome that your family supported you in that because I I think that that can be hard sometimes for parents to support what they don't think is like the traditional way of doing things, you know? Definitely. And also, obviously, there's times in that journey where it looks like there is no hope, you know, or that things aren't going well. And I think it's, yeah, that following that passion, I think often it, you're kind of like forging your own way. So it it does look really different from that traditional route. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you quickly before we get into that, like, what does a typical session with you entail? Like, what kind of patients do you work with? And, and how would you approach the therapy session? Like, is it all specifically play-based? 
Yeah, I guess it depends. I'm actually in a few different settings at the moment. So I work for a psychology practice around maternal mental health. So that just specializes in maternal mental health. But when I do my own private practice, I work with both parents and children. We often in the, I guess in the scheme of like play therapy, I would use directive and non-directive approaches. Often I might have just a child for the whole session, or sometimes I'll see the child for half the session and see the parents. We can really work on what's going on in the home and how we can support the bigger picture, right, of the yeah. child's mental health. Oh, that's um, and sometimes I also work with parents. Sometimes parents really want to first come to therapy themselves and really unpack the issue of what's going on for them and how they're getting triggered by the situation. And sometimes they feel like they don't need their, they don't need their child to go to therapy after that because things have actually gotten to a point where they feel confident enough to manage it. And other times their child will come for a few sessions. So it, it's really individual and kind of based on uh. what the family needs. Yeah, that's really great. I love that. Okay. Yeah. So let's jump into, we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording. So why don't we start with Mm -hmm. your beliefs about motherhood in general and how they shifted once you became a mother? Yeah. Going through the education journey around, you know, children and family studies and psychology, I thought I was picking up a lot that I was like, yes, this is how I want to raise my child. This is how, this is what a good parent does. And this is how to raise a good child. And this is what I missed out from my parents. And this is how I want to be different. And I think I... I became really confident, right, in in how I thought things was going to go and how I thought I would be as a mom and a parent. And I saw my studies being very linked to that of like, this is just going to prep me, right, for, for what's to come. And then I became a parent and I realized a lot of, pretty much most of what I read did not prepare me for what I went through because what I was reading was something that actually took me away from what I believed I needed at the time. So for example, a lot of what I read was, I think, really shame-based and really around this is what you should be doing. And it's almost like rules, right? Of do this and then your child will do that. But it often doesn't really work like that. And and I felt like I had no no tools to actually navigate that space of it's not panning out how I thought. And so I started to read different things. I started to read conscious parenting and I realized that what I was trying to do was almost like heal through being a parent. So it's like I didn't have a childhood that I wanted and then I thought, you know what, I'm going to give my child everything that I didn't have. But I realized how unfair that is to heal through somebody else. I needed to do that work myself and that's what conscious parenting taught me. It's not about raising a child, it's about raising myself. And so that was this huge step back like for me to be like, wow, okay, what was I trying to achieve in parenting and how can I actually transfer that to my own growth? How can I notice when I'm trying to control things outside myself? How can I give myself more grace and compassion? I noticed that critical self-talk coming out and I also noticed things that I wanted for my child that I actually wasn't willing to do myself. And so when I realized that, I realized there was lots of work to be done with me and in the ways that I showed up in my own life. Yeah. It's so much of what you said is I I think just rings true for so many mothers that might be listening. Are there any resources that you recommend about conscious parenting in particular that if if someone's interested in, in learning more about that? Yes, Dr. Shafali's work I think is absolutely transformational and I related to her story so much because she's a, I mean, she's a clinical psychologist. She also said that she had these grand ideas about how she would be as a parent and then she became a parent and, again, was that a huge awakening. And so, yeah, I really relate to that and I think her work really speaks to 
probably things that might actually trigger things in mums because I felt it was actually quite triggering, but in a good way. It was like things that I knew I wanted to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you're spot on where I feel like as mothers, we try to prepare ourselves like with all of these different resources, books and what people will tell us and videos, whatever it might be. And none of them actually (laughs) prepare you for what you experience. And one of those things that we're going to focus on today, which is just the selfless mother, I when I first had my when I first had my child back in gosh 2013, my first, she like we had so many things going on. There were so many things to focus, breastfeeding, like all the things. And you truly give up every ounce of your being. And it's funny because everybody focuses so much on the mother when they're pregnant. Oh my gosh, when are you due? Oh my gosh, you know, how far along are you? Is it a boy? Is it a girl? Oh, I think it's, oh, you don't know what it is. I think it's a boy because you're carrying this way. I think it's a girl because you, yeah. you're you more round in this area. It's like, what on earth? You know, that's like a whole nother discussion, but it's yeah. it can be one of the most <laughs> so frustrating. True. And then, you know, you give birth and all that attention all focuses towards the baby. And then the mother is very often left in the dust. And I think this is, to be honest, I do think it's like an American thing. I I mean, there are other cultures that focus very solely on the mother and they have all these rituals and it's a very beautiful thing. Here in America, I feel like many of the experiences that uh, Americans have are we're kind of just like, okay, well, now you have to do the breastfeeding. You have to get ready to go back to work in six weeks. You have to pump all your milk, have that ready. You have to, oh, you have incisions. You have this. Oh, it'll be fine. Like You'll just get a checkup in six weeks and they'll figure it out. And if, if things are still bad, then, oh, just wait a little bit longer. And we're not given any support or resources whatsoever. And we're just we're just made to be these selfless beings that then switch from, oh, a person who you like to do yoga and running, working in the hospital, whatever it is that you used to do, you give up all of those things in order to care for this, this tiny little human. And I like, I didn't even think about any of that. I don't even think through my first or second maybe even third child. Like I I was just selflessly doing all of these things. And to be honest, I felt like I was getting these merit badges like, oh, well, I'm able to have two kids and I'm able to cook clean and work and do all these things. So like, look at me because I I felt like I I felt like I was getting all these like, you know, awards of like being like the person that could handle all these things. Meanwhile, mental health is like at a very minimal level. I mean, I wasn't taking care of myself at all. And it's like one day you wake up and you're like, I am so incredibly depleted. Where do I go from here? It's like society helps support that selflessness. It's like we are, oh my gosh, you, you know, you're so selfless when it comes to your children. You do anything for them. It's like, it's like you're given this, this praise. praise. It's like, what yeah. on earth? And then you start thinking about it and you're like, no, wait, I don't want to be this person. I don't know. So what I want to know how you specifically would define like a selfless mother. What would your definition be? Yeah, I love what you described there about America because I feel like Australia is very similar too and it's almost like there's just this pressure to just be okay again and to 
to just this is like this is the new norm and this is just how it is. This is just motherhood. And I think for a lot of women, it's like not even questionable that there is another way. It's like this is just what it is and I have to be okay with this, but I'm not, but I maybe I'm not being grateful if I'm not being okay with this. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, selfless mothering, right, it's really hard to define and I know that it probably exists within a spectrum if, if we can kind of think of the different areas of our lives that we we feel like we we have to do it. But I feel like when it comes down to it, it is it is seeing that that we love our children in the ways that we sacrifice ourselves. So that is how we give love. So yes, I would like to do this, but I'm not going to do it because I love my child and, and I put them first. And in, this is in different areas, whether it's our exercise and our health, whether it's our career, whether it's our recreational time, whether it's just hobbies and passions, it's it's seeing that in order to love our children, it it has to be done through through sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how I. I guess I find selfless mothering. Yeah, no, I think? think that I. I think that's a perfect definition. I think as mothers, we exactly do that. Your friend asks you to to, to go do a yoga class at night or, or what have you, and and you're thinking to yourself, child A has this going on, and child B has this going on, and oh, I haven't done anything for myself in a really long time. But you know what? I need to put these kids first, and it's making that conscious decision to continuously put your children first while leaving yourself in the background, and then I think. This kind of compounds over time where you do it over and over again and it just becomes this natural way of thinking and doing and you don't realize that you have not done anything for yourself in a very long time. And I had told you this very briefly right before we got started, but I met with a friend I hadn't seen in in a year and she hadn't been like out in over a couple of years. I mean, she just can't get out to do anything. And I was like, we need to do this more. And and her response is like, well, I don't know. Like I'm just the kids. I have like so much. And it's like, it's so, it's so sad that we think that we are not like important enough to put ourselves first. We are better parents when we're able to take care of ourselves in a way that nurtures our mental and physical health. Like I can't imagine, right? I mean, I just I think the trouble begins where we are so selfless that we are not able to fill up our own tanks. We're running on empty, but we're constantly filling up our child's tanks and then we're living through them. I feel like, and I think that can go a couple different ways. Like you sometimes see like parents kind of like living vicariously through their kids through sports and like things like that. And it's just, yeah, it's just so interesting. And I'd love to hear your take on how children are affected when a mother is so selfless. Like how are they affected in the short term and then in the long term as well? Yeah, that's such a good question because what you just said there earlier as well about we think we have to do this to put children first. I think it's important to take a step back and think, is this really putting children first? And I think a perfect example of this, right, if we can kind of talk about the short term, if we get up in the morning and straight away, right, we're like, okay, we're in mum mode and we are tending to the kids and we're doing the housework and we're organizing this and we're caring for somebody else and and we're constantly doing that. We are working in this way of depletion, but also when when our child comes up to us and is like, I want to play or mum, look, I'm doing this. We don't have time for that because we're busy, right? We're like, I, I'm, I need to do this first. Like I'm still trying to organize something. Like I never have space to do what I need to do. And so it can be in this way of we're actually 
not really filling up our cup or nourishing ourselves, but they're not really feeling that either. And so we we just tend to be busy, right? Doing things that are actually things that continuously get undone. I talk about caring tasks sometimes and even domestic chores. They're things that we put ourselves worth in, but they are constantly being undone. You, you can spend an hour putting a child to sleep, but the child potentially could get woken up. 15 minutes after, right? You could do the washing, but the washing's going to be there. And so women, without living in intention, right, when we're kind of just being on this default way, we are constantly doing things. And so by the end of the day, you might look back and be like, all day I've just been doing things for you. I, I organized your costume for school and I did all your washing and I took you to this friend's birthday party and they feel so depleted and so worn out, but they didn't really feel like they got to connect with their child. And then that brings on the shame, right? And then they're like, well, I don't have time to play with you all day anyway. So it's almost like this black and white way of you've been asking me to play all day and I can't do that. I mean, no one could, right? But then they're like, well, I can't do that at all then. And so that impacts in the short term in that way that that women don't feel like they have space for themselves or their child and they don't feel satisfied in either, either end of that, but they think that that's how it should be. But if we look at how that actually builds up on the long term, it's things like, like you said, children doing sports and and putting all this effort and women putting all this effort into children having these hobbies and these goals, but they're not really in their arena themselves. And so they don't have, I mean, we can't, we don't have the, the perception and the insight of what it's actually like to persevere with these things in this moment when we're not doing the stuff for ourselves either. And so I think it's kind of knowing it's like, you know, a child, it has to come internally. It really does, that intrinsic motivation. But if we're not creating space in our life for that, we're constantly really trying to, whether it's bribing them or whether it's trying to convince them to do all these things, because it would make us feel good. So it's not really about them having those skills. It's about achieving in something. And then we're feeling really good about that. Right. The pressure that that vicariously through that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's like they're just becoming the performance, right? Of like, okay, so if I achieve all these things and behave really well and succeed, and then you're going to feel really good about your role as a mom because that's what you're spending all your time on. Right. So I think that's the short-term impact is that. And, and the long-term impact, yeah, it's really the burden of, of having that placed on them, which is the self-worth that mums put on their children. Right. This podcast is brought to you by Bowl & Branch. The weather is getting warmer. Well, at least last week it was. This week, not so much. But we know it's coming, and I am so excited to get to spend more time outside with the kids and get that sunshine and fresh air. Having the energy to run around after four kids means I need a good night's rest. That's where Bowl & Branch comes in. Each sheet set is made with 100% traceable organic cotton that gets softer with every wash. We've had our sheets for years, and I can tell you that they really do get better with age. The sheets are great year-round, but I especially love them in the summer because they help keep me cool while sleeping, and science supports healthier sleep when your body is cooler. Bowling Branch Signature Sheets come in 10 different colors and are available in sizes Twin to California King. We have the natural color, and it's beautiful in person. Best of all, Bowling Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all United States orders. If you are in need of an upcoming gift for someone, this would be the perfect gift for just about anybody, regardless of age. Plus, you're investing in their sleep. They will be forever thankful. Sleep better at night with Bowl & Branch sheets. Get 15% off your first order when you use the promo code Lindsay at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code Lindsay. That's L-Y-N-Z-Y. Exclusions apply. Please see site for details. 
Yeah, I was reading a P- an article a couple of weeks ago, and it was talking about how they were asked, what was your mother like when you were young? And they couldn't define her. It was like their definition of her was based on themselves, which I was like, wow, that's like so profound, right? Because you have to lose. Oh, you know what? That Glennon Doyle quote from Untamed. Oh, so it's, we have been conditioned to prove our love by slowly ceasing to exist. And I mean, that is like, like in, in one sentence, just so incredibly perfect because that's literally what happens. And it's funny because you want to raise your children to be independent, confident. You want them to find themselves, give them room to be able to find themselves and be able to find things that they enjoy. And that's kind of like how you want them when they end up leaving the house. If they leave at 18, you want them to know themselves, right? And it's funny because we're put, we're goals, like our goals for our children are to be able to define themselves while we're losing our own selves and our children aren't able to define us. So it's just so interesting to me. So now it's like, I think of, I think of this now and it took me such a long time to get here, but I'm like, I want to really focus in on certain things that, that have been my goals for years. This year, yeah, like the New Year's resolutions. I mean, you know, we kind of just vaguely say like, this is something I want to learn this year or do. And one thing recently I said, you know what? I'm going to learn how to ski. I'm going to put the time and effort into learning how to ski, which in your late thirties, it's really no small feat, like to try to like actually yeah. do this. And, but it's so cool because not only do you have the, you get so much reward from learning something new and getting out there and and then you feel this sense of accomplishment which you you really haven't felt in a very long time because you've been birthing and breastfeeding and and again so many people focus on the baby rather than you you feel depleted i mean you're just constantly giving and giving and and to be able to just focus on one thing and say listen i want to learn this and then your kids they get to watch you they get to watch you learn something and fail and fail and fail and then succeed and it's such a great example of how the world actually works and to have them yeah. seeing that through you right it's like the next time they that. try something and they fail they're like oh my mom or my dad they they tried to do this and they failed multiple times and then they actually were able to do it so like not only yes. does it give them the parent something mm-hmm. to work off of it's it's something great for the children to see too you know yeah i love that example because i felt like that became part of when I was striving with like play therapy and how hard I worked to get into university and things like that. But as soon as I became a mom, I was like, I just want to stop. I wanted like I was halfway through, oh, just about to finish my master's. And I'm like, I just can't do it. I, I just can't do both. And I just want to give it all up. And luckily I had people around me, very select few that said, what is it about having a child that makes you just want to step back from it? Because if anything, don't you want them to witness your perseverance and your determination and your passion for this. Like this is a part of who you are. And when I started to unpack it, I'm like, hmm, it's not actually, it's really not my my baby, my child that's a problem. It's everything else on our plates as women that we actually put on our plates, whether it's the domestic stuff, whether it's just how much we love helping people, whether it's how intentional and well is our time or how much we ask for help. And I think when I realized I'm actually uncomfortable right now, I'm actually feeling really anxious about how I'm going to be able to navigate both, but this is where the growth is going to be. It's me 
finding a way through this and creating my own rules. And it didn't look like anything I'd ever seen before. I got a cleaner. I never saw that when I was growing up. I got, I asked for help and it was really uncomfortable being an independent person before and, and asking for support. But what I realized was these are all opportunities, right? That I can, that I can be a part of and I can let my child witness me, like you said, do things. And I, and I failed at a lot of things because I started to reach really high and naturally there's setbacks, but actually knowing that that is a part of the process to success is failing a lot, failing most of the time. Yeah. (laughs) I create space for that, for my children, the the creativity. I don't expect it. it, It's almost like you you have really, really expectations of what, what actually matters. And it's really not the repetition that school teaches you. It's really not filling out worksheets correctly. Like that doesn't matter. It's really about trying to find what holds a child's curiosity longer than other things and let's foster that let's give them the space to create their own path forward it's only because I was in the arena that I was able to see it in that way yeah absolutely and I I do also want to focus on there are many mothers that do choose to stay home and you know end up giving up their careers or at least putting them on hold and I don't think that's necessarily, I I think that that's for some women that might be the path that they truly want for themselves. And I think that that's lovely. But I think also just try to focus on a few things that you can do for yourself that might be outside of the arena of your home that can give back to you, whatever that might look like. That might be, I don't know, you put together a group of, of of women and you learn how to do something. You learn how to knit. You learn how to whatever it is. It could be like a million different things. You could do watercolor. You could do just a craft night. You could do anything. But just kind of focusing in on certain ways to just immerse yourself into different environments because, I mean, it can be... I worked per diem and I was in and out of the hospital variably through the last like 10 years. I'm working a little bit more now than I was throughout the last nine years, but I was always in there like one day a week or maybe two, whatever it was. But... I can tell you for me personally, it, I just, I wouldn't be able to be at home 24 seven. It's a such a difficult job. And I truly think, really, I think it's the most difficult job to stay home with your children 24 seven. So I think the hardest job on the planet is to be (laughs) a parent staying at home with your kids all of the time. That is so hard because you're not able to give to yourself in order to fill your tank and then fill your children's tanks. It's just, it's almost impossible. So I, I give so much credit to a parent that stays at home full time because it's like, it is, it's so hard. Yeah. And that's really interesting when you frame it like that, because I feel like I've always, I've always been in the middle. So it's, it, I haven't been staying at home and I haven't been working full time. I've always had this kind of like a middle gray area yeah. between that. And there was one period where it was like a two week break from where like the daycares shut down and I had like my kids for two weeks straight. And I've realized how different I was. I did not play as much as I normally would. I was not present. I was overwhelmed. I was depleted. I was stretched out. I was, when I look, I was busy, constantly busy, but I'm like, what have I been doing? And so when I look back at, at that time, the, the routine that I had for myself, I had my children in daycare, you know, two to three days a week. And I noticed that when I had them at home, I was, I was more intentional, not just with my time, but also really intentional around like self preservation, I would say, not even self-care. It was like, okay, I'm going to wake up. And yes, I haven't seen them for, like, they've been at daycare for a few days, but I'm going to actually start the day with a workout because that makes me feel really good. And then I'm going to really do this with them. And we're going to be, you know, have like this time together. And I was actually really present. And then I'm like, okay, what else 
what else am I needing? I'm going to sit down and have lunch and then I'm going to do something with them. And it was this flow. And I felt like I showed up a whole lot better yes. than those weeks of overwhelm. Absolutely. <laughs> so Absolutely. Think, yeah. No, I totally, I totally agree with you. I, I will come off of a, a 12 hour shift and the next day I'm like, okay, like we're, you know, I, I just feel like I, and it's funny. It's funny to think that leaving the house and going to work, like, will refill your tank. But for me, it does. It makes me feel important to be amongst adults and be in a different a role than at home where it can oftentimes be very difficult because no one might be listening and there's a lot of noise and it feels like you're oftentimes getting nowhere. Where at work, it's like I'm appreciated sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> in the emergency <laughs> department sometimes. It's just a different yeah, a different way to fill your cup. And so for me, when I get home, I'm like, okay, well, that part of me feels good. Now I get to switch over into parent mode and I'm so much more able to do that in a way that's present and just fulfilling for both of us that I just don't know that I could do that if I was home all of the time because it's just you don't get that opportunity to step out of it. And and the, percept- the different perspective I think that you get when you are able to step out of it. Yeah. You come back with fresh eyes and I think it's really good for, for us and for kids as well to to have that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I wanted to ask you, so because you're play-based and a play therapist, I'm so curious to hear your thoughts on, so I feel like there's two schools of thought. One is my child can play independently and I think that's good for them and they can use their imagination and they don't need me to guide them. And then there's a school of thought of I need to be playing with my child the entire time and really be involved. Obviously, there's a it can be a combination of those two. And then also using play to be able to directly connect with your child. So I'm just curious to hear like, what do you think the ideal way to go about that is? Like, do you allow your child a little bit of free play? Like, what do you think is the best? Good questions. So I think with play, I think it also can be very triggering for moms too, because they do feel like there is these expectations that they must play and it must be this and it must look a certain way. And I think what I've noticed as well, I think there are so many different variations of play, whether it's educational play, there's directive therapeutic play, non-directive. But what I've found, not only with clients, but with my own kids, the most powerful, the most potent type of play is a non-directive play. And research shows not only is there mental health treatment for when you know parents deliver this kind of play, but it's a preventative thing as well. And it's as powerful as 30 minutes a week. So if you look at that, that could honestly be like five minutes a day. Like it's not that much. And it really is about following the child's lead. It's almost like you are to be the perfect playmate. You're following with their imaginative play. And I know for a lot of parents, it's really hard. And I think one part of that is because the expectations that they put on themselves to be able to do it for hours long or every time their child asks. But the other part is it actually, I mean, we're constantly as as adults living in the present, I mean, in the future or the past. And so play gets us to be present. And that can feel really hard if we're not even present with ourselves. If we have not had the space in our lives to be present with ourselves, the first time that you're present in a day cannot be playing with your child. So I know all the, all the things about play, so to speak, but I can't just wake up in the morning and play with my child straight away. I haven't been present with myself first. Interesting. I can't do that authentically, right? Like right. I'm, I, I could be there physically, but I'm not going to be there emotionally as much as I would if I had just given myself that space. And I think that's why boundaries are so important because you almost protect the space of how powerful the play is. It's it's like you don't want to dilute it by saying yes and you're not really there because it doesn't 
it's just a disservice to you but also to your child I think it's better to say no even if it's most of the time but when you say yes you're actually there and you're present and that is the kind of play that will completely change your perspective on your child because I know that whatever behavioral challenges or whatever situations that I've um, had with my children where I'm like hmm do they not have this skill or they're struggling with this if I do this kind of play I see all those skills it's like the environment, that kind of environment brings it all up where a child just gets to be and there is no pressure. There is no you trying to get them to be someone that they're not. You are just letting them unfold and they can, they sense that in that play. They feel seen and they feel heard and they feel valued and appreciated. And so for me, it's like, because I know how powerful it is. I'm like, what do I need to do to be okay to be able to be present for that? Right. No, that's yeah. like- How can I- yeah. Preservation, right? Self-preservation for that, I mean. Yeah. yeah. So do you know, like, is the benefits, are, are those specifically when it's a one-on-one type of situation or could this be a one-on-four situation? <laughs> I mean, I know obviously the ideal situation would be to have these five-minute sessions every day one-on-one. My husband and I have had so many discussions about this because we're like, okay, can we pencil in every kid? Like, it's so hard. <laughs> oh, I can't um, imagine. I've got two. So this is like double. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, so we will obviously we do have our time with our kids where it's we're able to have that like five, 10 minutes with a child individually to talk like whether it's in the car, or what have you. So I always try to focus on talking with them in depth about their day and things like that when I get them one on one like that. But if we're in a car, so we're kind of restricted. We can't like actually physically play, which is a huge part of it. Like you want them to be able to, like you said, lead and be able to tell us what they want to do and then following along with what they want. Is it also beneficial to to do it with all your children at once? Like if they're all playing a game and they're like, "Mom, come play," or "Dad, come play," is that also beneficial? I mean. I'm, Probably, but I'm not going to ask you anyway. <laughs> is that also beneficial? Yes it, yes, it is. I like to see. I like to see it on a spectrum with all these kinds of things. So when I say, "Yep, yeah, that's really potent for connection," I think if if someone came to me and said, "I'm really struggling with this particular child, and we're having these behavioral issues," I'll be like, "Okay, this this one would be probably the most." potent or the most, you might want to focus more on that. But I think in general, I mean, all play is good. And what you're describing there, I think is great for, I mean, children love it, right? When we come play and we enter their world and having siblings around even, even makes it more exciting. But it's also knowing that there are dynamics there. Meaning if one sibling wants you to do something and the other one wants you to do something, it's, it's not going to be as connect, you know, like that connection with both at the same time, potentially, if they're kind of pulling you in different directions. And so it's almost like when I play even directed stuff with my children, like a board game, I know that it's not, it's not the same kind of, I'll still do it. And it's still amazing. And like I said, in so many different ways, but it's, I know it's not that really kind of like deep, deep connection. Right. If I need, to you know really target like the behavioral stuff if I really felt disconnected because potentially that could kind of turn into a sibling rivalry or you know what I mean right right different dynamic no absolutely yeah I mean that happens constantly in this house I mean but But you want it to be more open like an open-ended play yeah yes open-ended play and especially when if you're ready to do that and there's the siblings there I think it's a really great opportunity as well um it breaks up, I think, if if there is, you know, obviously we have routines or if there's a lot going on. Play really brings down children's defenses too. It's such a stress relief. So I think any kind of play is great. And I think any way that we can incorporate play into our lives brings us back into the present moment and it brings them back into the present moment. So it's almost like it's doing us a favor too. When we have like you have an afternoon and your kids like come play and you're like, I've got all these things to do. And then you're like, 
actually, I probably need to take a 10-minute break from that. Let me come play. Yeah, so I think we, we shouldn't overthink it, but just knowing that there are different kinds of play and different kinds of play to help us in different situations, but it's, it's all good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I've heard a lot of if there's any type of difficulty with children getting dressed for school or brushing their teeth or what have you, and and just switching that stressful situation into a playful situation is immensely helpful. I mean, I've used it multiple times where like everybody is like screaming at each other, at me, just the whole thing. And we're trying to like get out the door. And then if you just take a breath and then you're like, okay, how can I make this like into a fun like game? And so oftentimes I use myself as the pawn and I'll be like, okay, do you guys think you guys can team up together and get yourselves ready before I can get myself ready? And then I'll do something ridiculous to try to get myself ready, like hopping on one foot or whatever. And they think it's funny. But, and I I say that. that like as if it's like, I do this all the time. I mean, no, oftentimes it's like I'm feeding into the stress. So <laughs> don't feel like you're, you're like a bad parent if you're not doing these things because oftentimes I like feed into that and I don't remember to always do this, but it is really effective if you're able to. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really effective, but also I think for some parents who do try it and they're like, it never works or it doesn't work. I think knowing we have to really kind of question what what does work mean? Because it's never going to work in every single situation, every single time. So I know myself, if I'm outside and and we're out in public and I'm trying to be playful, it actually doesn't work because there's there's a lot of other stuff going on. My children aren't focused on what I'm saying or what I'm doing. There's, it's like they're overstimulated or there's other stuff. So I think that it's also knowing that it sometimes it works better in other situations to, you know, different ones. And that's okay too. It doesn't mean that it's just not working. It means that there's other stuff going on. So I think, yeah, keeping that in mind as well. It's definitely not a black and white thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, thank you for that. I mean, I, th- I think what you do is is so interesting. And I'm already thinking to myself, I have to ask you something after this about one of my own children. I'm like, I wonder if this would be beneficial for us. I do think it would be. Okay, so I have just a few. I think I'm just going to go over some of the questions that people wrote in. Oh, this is a good one. How did your upbringing shape your perspective on the selfless mother? Yeah, that's really, that's an interesting one. So growing up, and it's actually good because I've had these conversations with my mother, but growing up, I had a mom that was selfless. She was, really did feel like she had to live for us and to put us first and she wasn't fulfilled or happy in her own life, but she felt like she had to give that up for the for the greater good of us. And then it got to a point probably as I was entering becoming a teenager where things had really shifted in her life. She divorced from my dad and she kind of went the other way where she was like, I've lived for you guys for too long. I need to think about me now. And so I, what I, I what I felt I experienced was two ends of the spectrum. It was like for half my life, she was completely, I'm here, but it, not in a happy way. I, I never had these memories of her enjoying time with me. And, and she can even say that on prone reflection, she didn't. And she didn't know how to because she didn't really enjoy time with herself and, and where she was in her life. And then I had that other experience of, you know, seeing her, really kind of like try and pump this goodness into her. But um, again, I didn't feel that connection. And so the way that it influenced how I was where I, I didn't want to be on either ends of the spectrum. I was like, I don't want to be selfless because I know that she didn't enjoy time with me and I want a different experience with my children, but I don't want to be like what I saw as a teenager as her being selfish. And I realize now it's never one or the other. It's really knowing what we need to connect with ourselves and what they need to connect with themselves and then what we need together to connect with each other. And it's like constantly being aware of that. So I'm trying to foster the relationship 
with myself. I'm trying to help them foster the relationship with themselves. And then I'm trying to foster the relationship between each other. And so I always think of that when I approach something. It's like when I, when I get up in the morning and I'm exercising, if, if they happen to be not okay with it one day, I think about, okay, I'm going to put this boundary in place because I'm trying to protect the relationship with myself. I'm thinking about now they're going to have time for themselves and doing something that they enjoy once they are able to kind of like, yep, I put this boundary. It's not going to kind of shift. But then also we're going to come back together and it's going to be in a really authentic way because mm-hmm. I'm not getting them to sacrifice something that they love and I'm not sacrificing something that I love right. either, but we're going to come together and it's, yeah, it's authentic. I constantly think of that. Yeah. And it's so funny to think, it's like we all look back on our childhoods and there's something that you're like, okay, I, I want to really focus in on this and work on this and make sure that I'm not coming off this way to my own children. But it's so funny because we're going to do everything in our power to try to be this mother who is amazing and our children look back on us and they're like, oh, mom, but there's going to be something. There's going to be always, something they always. look back <laughs> at. And I just think the most important thing is just uh, having that open conversation. Like it's lovely that you talk to your mom about this and there's like, there's this awareness, right? And I think that's what makes relationships so much stronger is when they're, when you have that awareness and you're like, oh yeah, you know, I definitely feel like I was this way and maybe I wish I wasn't, but at the same time, being able to form that bond and that connection through the discussion of it is like so important. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's never too late. And I think I realized that too, you know, witnessing my own parents kind of commitment to them doing their inner work. It's never too late to, to reconnect with your children, but also knowing that, like you said, every child is going to have their own story about how they felt with their mom. Like we can't avoid that. The first, what, seven years really does lay the foundation. And so if we, but if we're able to kind of understand that we can really own our part, but also still be able to be conscious about what do they need? What do I need? What do we need and move forward with I guess a framework and I feel like that's what I love about play I really do feel like it's a child's language and it gives me something tangible to be like okay that's how I can connect with them that's something now I need to learn how I can connect with myself and it helps me I guess be present with that where whereas I think when we have this guilt or this worry about not being enough for our child, we feel stuck. We're like, I don't want to be selfish, selfless, but then I don't want to be selfish. What do I do? Like, I don't know how to be. (laughs) I don't know how to be. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's so true. Okay, one more question, and then I have two random questions for you that I ask everybody. So the first one, this is, sometimes I get angry at my partner for not being as selfless as I am, but is this justified? I think it's intrinsic for me. That's a good one. It's another good one. So a lot of moms that I work with, they do identify, right, that they get really resentful of their partner for doing certain things. And when we actually unpack it, so for example, I had one mom say to me, I get really annoyed that he'll get back from a whole day of work and be okay with packing up and going to the gym. Like, you know, I'm at home with a child, like how can he just consistently every day go to the gym and and leave me here? And the more that we, we actually start to get deeper with it, the mum feels like her health has gone downhill. She feels like she waits all day for his support, but feels like she doesn't have that time for herself. And so the more that I can, okay, this is this is why the resentment and potential jealousy is coming up. It's because this is what you want in your life. And so what are your barriers? What are the barriers for, say, going to the gym and using, using the crate? Yeah, what are the barriers for in the morning asking for that support from your husband or, or doing a workout or what about even alternating it after as soon as he gets back you go and then he goes it's I guess it's it's really about knowing why is this triggering for us and often it's it's because we want that when we we're struggling with actually getting that or we think that we can't and they can right so right I think it's really about yeah actually looking at looking at the rules that we follow that we unconsciously follow but we don't need to and right. being really open 
being flexible with that and not following those rigid rules anymore because we don't have to. We can make our own. Yeah, absolutely. We can make our own. I like that. Okay, so I have two questions for you unrelated to the podcast topic. The first question is, if you could give mothers one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, that's a good one. One piece of advice, I think, would be to create your own rules in motherhood that serve you and your child, to literally mute out the voices of everyone else around you and reconnect with your own inner voice. Because when you do that, so much clarity comes from what you need and what they need, and yet you create a life and um, that feels good for both of you. So I think, yeah, that would probably be my yeah potential one. Perfect. And last question is, if you could make one meal for your whole family that everybody would eat that's relatively quick and easy, what would it be? Oh, that's a good one. If I could make one meal that everyone would eat, I think pasta. Just yeah. such a winner. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. With pasta. How do you make your pasta? So I use mints, like beef mints, passata, I'll put some Italian herbs and I'll cut up some mushroom and capsicum and it's like, oh, and onion. And that's like my go-to recipe. I don't think I've changed that for years. So Awesome. And your kids will eat all the, will your, will your children eat all of that together? Yeah, they will. Yeah. So it's so yeah. funny because yeah, I have one child in particular who likes everything separate, like everything has to be separate, everything. So even if like I had like a meat sauce, like the sauce and the meat and the vegetables would have to be separate. <laughs> Little components, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and oftentimes I don't do it because it's a, I mean, it's a lot to a lot, have to right? do that. Yeah, and I'm just un- like, here's the food, you eat it, you don't, whatever you want to do. But I'll also put like, I just put a bunch of raw veggies on the, every night there's raw veggies on the table. If you don't want what's for dinner, you can eat the raw veggies. That's fine. But yeah, it, it can be hard. And I have some some kids and that just eat whatever. They'll eat anything on their plate. That's all mixed together. But yeah, one of mine and, and sometimes the other will, I have two that are like, eh, they kind of want to like make their own plate. Yeah, it's interesting. It's always one like my first, my firstborn. He ate like absolutely everything. I could give him any any veggie, any like any dish, and he would just like woof it down. And it kind of gives you confidence, right? It's like, oh yeah, oh, great. Yeah. Like I know, I, I got this. And then my second one comes along, and she. I remember when she first started walking, and I gave her dinner, and she walked over with a bowl, and she just tipped it all in the bin. <laughs> even try that but that is so much her so I know that if she eats it it must be good because she's like the biggest critic with my food that is it's yeah for me it's the second too and I'm like what is it that we do with the second that oh my gosh it's so funny that whole I I I need to have a podcast on birth order and talk about that because I feel like there's so much to unpack there and I and I have no idea what it is but there's something about birth order (laughs) And I, lessons that we can learn. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think that would be so fascinating. All right. Well, thank you so much. See, this was awesome. I truly enjoyed listening to you and learning more and just having this really important discussion about selfless moms. So I guess the, the takeaway for today is make sure you input onto your calendar a few dates to do something for yourself. I love that. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. 
I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.